Hey, what's going on? Happy Monday. Happy Family Day. It is Canucks Talk in the morning. A very special edition of Canucks Talk with myself, Jamie Dodd, my co-host, Canucks Insider, Thomas Trance, who also covers the team at The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. Coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. I feel like the music is a little much at 7 a.m. on a holiday Monday. It's a little too intense. (laughs) Yeah, as opposed to what people are used to, which is the, like, you know, rock stylings of whatever... Bon Jovi ripoff. Yeah, dog has found um, the first text comes in. Whoa, why are you guys here on a stat? I'm not complaining. LOL. It's a great question. <laughs> I, I, I asked that myself. Yeah. <laughs> Poor a dog. The only member of his show stuck with us here today. Oh, uh, it's a pleasure, boys. Hey, all well, I know, all I know, least, not so much. All I know, a dog, is that the Lou Day we're gonna get is gonna be sweet. Oh, yeah, it's gonna be really good. <laughs> this is watch the f- every trade happen on that day. <laughs> yeah. Too. Oh yeah. This well, no, is- it'll do it after the. Deadline. This is not the first time this has happened though, <laughs> where Barra asks us to fill in in the morning, and I'm like, oh, okay, sure, okay. Like those guys have their day off. You know, they're real big shots. Who knows what kind of contract they have with all the days off? So that's fine. But then I check the schedule. And we're the only people working today at the station. Yeah. Like, everyone else has the day off. It's pretty tough. So what's the deal here? I think <laughs> What's the deal? I, don't, I just don't think people like us. <laughs> no, don't say that. I, I mean, some, I pe- mean pe- some people like you. I just don't think people like us. I think we're, I think that's, fundamentally, we're the people who are being don't, asked to come in on Saturday. It's don't, fine. Don't rope me in with that. <laughs> don't rope me in with <laughs> you on that one. Trying to distance himself well, from it's, this. It's hard. I mean, I've you're worked like, hard to, to build a rapport with my colleagues. <laughs> I'm not yeah, going to let well, you throw it all away. That's that's your mistake. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, there's got to be some answer because you're like, they're big shots. They've got that. It's like, we have the same agent. <laughs> so so it's got to be it's got to be deeply personal between B- Barra and me and or you uh, and me apparently yeah, yeah. anyway I think he's I think you know I heard overheard him in the lunchroom actually he was talking about how he doesn't like your usage of what's up <laughs> just yeah. sounds what's so up? old yeah sounds a dog have you weighed in on this Drance thinks what's up is like an old-fashioned expression like he- hello fellow kids yes, kind of thing. yes exactly I'm right. Uh, I'm right. You know. I I'm mean, right. yeah. It's it's a. Uh, oh come on, Andy. Come in, on. In, in most context, it, it is it does kind of stand out. Of, what what's up? It's just awkward to say. Yeah. It's, what what what's up? It's not awkward to say. It's like the least awkward thing to say of all time. What's oh, up? Wow. That's that you, that you doth protest too much. Why don't you that? just say it's the least awkward thing of yeah, all time? Yeah. It really. It doesn't, why don't you just say sup? It's a real tongue twister, dude. I think it was. I think it was the least awkward thing to say in 2003. It just doesn't. <laughs> what's up? Yeah. You're right. It is. You're right now, I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Weird. Hey, dog, come I didn't on. think I didn't hey. think about that before. This is a betrayal. Hey, wh- what's up? What's up? You're right. Yeah, it's weird. What's right. what's up? Working on a. So stat. what's the alternative then? Anything else? Literally I say anything else. I say what's going on quite often, which Trance apparently doesn't have a problem with. I, no, I don't like that one either. <laughs> what is going on? Today? I just haven't. I just haven't. <laughs> how, whatever happened to hello? <laughs> You're going to bring back hello? Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, this is a nice uh, homage to uh, Alfred and Braff we're doing here. Yeah. <laughs> what, are you, what are the youths saying these days? we got to get them in on this. I'll lay out the show. Uh, EJ Raddick, senior reporter for the NHL Network, is going to join us in mere moments here. We'll kick off the show with a little trade talk around the league. Uh, and coming up at 8, David Quadrelli. 
quads from Canucks Army and Canucks Conversation will join us. Uh, we'll try to make some time maybe for your What We Learns if you send them in. I don't know if it's an official What We Learned. But, uh, yeah, if you send them in, maybe we'll read them a little bit later in the show. What a plug that is. Uh, before we get EJ on the line, uh, I guess we should mention, uh, hey, the Canucks won a game, Drancer, on Saturday night, 6-2, over the also very bad Philadelphia Flyers, who are somehow significantly ahead of the Canucks in the standings, despite being truly, truly dreadful. How, how much time do I have to react to the game? Just I mean, as much as you want until we get EJ on the line. Okay, here. cool. Um, number one. The Canucks live in a mode this season where, like, once every five or six games, Elias Pettersson just calls game and wins it. And it doesn't really matter how well they play or how poorly they play. Elias Pettersson, you know, won every five or six games. Yeah. It's just like, hey, I'm going to win this game. That was what we saw on Saturday. You love to see it. Yeah. it's If you're going to win a game, hey, Archer Silov's first win, Elias Pettersson goes off. Not a bad way. To win a game Andre for the Kuzmenko Canucks right got now. his potassium. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we'll, we'll get back into that a little bit later in the show, but as mentioned, now joining us on the line, he is a senior reporter for the NHL Network. EJ Raddick is on the line. EJ, thanks very much for doing this. How are you? Hey, my pleasure, guys. How you doing? Oh, we're doing very well. It's uh, it's a holiday Monday here, but we're uh, we're at work bringing the people their their hockey talk. So we're we're thrilled to have right. you on the line, and we'll we'll take a spin around the league. You know, trade deadline less than two weeks away now and let's start with uh, the big trade that happened on Friday night that saw Ryan O'Reilly three-way deal Ryan O'Reilly ends up with the Toronto Maple Leafs what do you think about the deal and the fit with O'Reilly on the Leafs well I think it was uh I think that the Leafs you know I think it'll be good for their team I mean uh they're in the mix they have a really good team they were close last year I mean we all know the history right over the last couple of decades with the struggles of getting out of the first round but uh you know i think especially lately most of that has just been because of you know the division they're in they're in a tough spot um so i think for kyle dubas to send a message to that room to add a, a player of significance like ryan o'reilly someone who's won a stanley cup who's been all the way to the end who's uh, been in all those important moments i think that adds a tremendous amount to their group it gives uh, sheldon keith a lot more options in terms of matchups and moving guys into different spots. And, you know, Nola Chari also comes over in that deal, and he's a he's a pro. He's a good fourth-line player and someone who's also played in, in big games in his career, got in that same final that O'Reilly was in, got to Game 7 before Jordan Biddington stepped in, basically. Uh, I heard you guys talking about Elias Pettersson, uh, you know, calling game. I mean, Jordan Biddington in that first period of Game 7 in 2019, I mean, he was the difference in that in that game and ultimately in that series. But uh, I think it's just two really good players for the Toronto Maple Leafs and everybody in the, in the, uh, in the league, the contenders, it's kind of wide open this year. I don't think there's any, even though Boston's played so well, I don't think anybody would say it's a given that they're going to win. I think there's seven or eight teams that can probably win. Toronto's one of them. So we'll see how it works out. But I, I think, you know, on paper, it makes sense to me. You know, one of the things with the Eastern Conference uh, this year, it's the top of it is very, very impressive. Uh, you know, the top probably five or six teams. We've already seen Toronto now go out and make a splash with O'Reilly. The Rangers earlier went out and added uh, Vladimir Tarasenko. Do you think that puts some pressure on some of the other top contenders in the Eastern Conference to try, try to respond with a big move of their own ahead of the deadline? I, I think it is a little bit of an arms race that's going on. I mean, you've, we've seen it, right? The Rangers have done a couple of things now, and and now Toronto steps in. And uh, I think those six teams. I think I think, and I'm going to include New Jersey in that because New Jersey's had a terrific year, and they have that element of play. They have such terrific speed when they're healthy with their group. 
that they create a matchup problem because they could push you on your heels. So I would say Boston, Tampa, Toronto in the Atlantic, Carolina, New Jersey, New York in the Metro, the Rangers. Those six teams, I think any of those six teams could come out of the East. Now, after that, you got Pittsburgh, Washington, the Islanders, Florida, Buffalo, Detroit. It's like six teams vying for two spots, it seems like, after that. So we'll see how that plays out. But I think of those top six teams, I think if I'm in management in any of those groups, if there's something I could do to try to push my team forward, I think I'm going to do it. I mean, I look at Carolina. I was just down in Raleigh for the for the stadium series game, and, uh, you know, that's a really good team. But I, when I look at them and I say, can they, they win a seven-game series as they're currently constituted against the teams I've mentioned, I think it'll be real hard. I think if they could add clearly a second center, I think that's the piece, but if they could add Timu Meyer and move some people around, it gives them a really another high end. You know, he's really a first line type player, so that make that might be the difference for Carolina in a really tough conference. So, um, you know, I, I, last year it was funny. It was eight up and eight down in the East. Eight teams were in, eight teams were out. It was decided in January this year. There's more teams in the mix. I think that's because been more of a struggle for Pittsburgh and Washington this year, and Buffalo and Detroit are getting better. The Islanders have been about the same. Florida has some struggles. They've changed their roster, but you know, it's a little bit of a different East this year because of that. EJ, in the thick of it, as the deadline has sort of heated up over the course of the past 10 days, has been Doug Armstrong and the St. Louis Blues uh, netting a couple of first-round picks here for Tarasenko and for Ryan O'Reilly. Uh, what do you think of the trades from a seller's perspective and the fact that the Blues now have three first-round picks in the 2023 draft? And it's, it's you know, again, I've been covering drafts for a long time. I mean, people say it's a good draft, it's a bad draft. You don't know until three or four years after it's over if it was a good draft or a bad draft. But people do say this is a good draft. Obviously, at the very top with Connor Bernard, it's a special draft. There's some good players under that that are going to be really could be really attractive players but people say it's a good draft so in a deep draft so having the three first rounders is good uh, to have i talked to doug armstrong about three weeks ago prior to the to him making these moves and you know i got the sense in talking to him at that time that he feels like you know what we've done we've had a really good run here in st louis and we won a stanley cup we've been really good i think he used the word mosaic the mosaic of the last 10 12 years has been pretty good for the St. Louis Blues. They've been in the mix, and he's got some really good young players there. I think he's trying to kind of retool it a little bit, not necessarily rebuild it, but there's, let's face it, he, he most likely wasn't going to sign O'Reilly, at, at least at this point, and I'm pretty sure he wasn't going to sign Tarasenko. Tarasenko's name has been out there for two years, really, in, in trade talks. So, um, in the end, people think you're going to get all these, especially the deadline. People think, oh, I'm going to get players and, and, and good young players for these guys at the deadline. In the end, the formula is always pretty much the same. You hope you get a first-round pick. You usually get a prospect of some sort. It's not usually the other team's top prospect, but it's kind of like an A-minus or a B-plus prospect. You hope if things if you've, if you've scouted things out well. Sometimes it's not even that much. Sometimes it's a player. Sometimes it's another conditional pick. That's what it is. So when you look at what St. Louis did with those two players, they kind of got what you would expect, and they got a couple of first-round picks in a draft that people think is deep, and that could be good for them. And also, as you get closer to the draft, if they want to use those picks in a way to, to try to bring somebody back in, they'll have options to do that as well. 
EJ, in the context of sometimes that's what it is, the Ottawa Senators trade former Vancouver Canuck Tyler Mott over the weekend, yep. and it's a conditional seventh, and it's Julian Gauthier, who's, what, mid-20s? 25-ish, yeah. um, not not exactly a prospect here. Uh, this is a player who went for a fourth just 12 months ago. I, I know he hasn't had quite the same impact for a Senators team that has struggled, but um, if you're a contend or sorry, if you're a seller sitting on a depth piece, does that return make you nervous? Um, I don't know. It depends on what you think of Julian Goche. I know there were a couple of teams that were interested in Julian Goche. He's still mm. a big, fast guy, and I think that People look at what happened with Tage Thompson, and not that that's going to happen with Julian Gauthier or a lot of guys who are big and fast like that. But I think people do look at that and say, hey, I still see some upside in this player. Now, I don't know if that's really what Ottawa sees, but I know there were other teams. I think Edmonton was a team that was interested in Julian Gauthier as kind of a back-end piece. Might have been a good fit for, for a team like that is looking to kind of continue to build the back end of their group. Um, so... I think you know when I when I when I heard about the trade, it just reminded me what that Tyler Mott is really a good is is a commodity that's that's handy in this league because you know exactly what he is. You guys saw him. He's a, he's a fast fourth line type player that can kill penalties, and I think mm-hmm. it's an underrated uh, reason. One of the underrated reasons why Vancouver had struggled this year is like the fourth line last year when they had that good run after Bruce got there was kind of a helpful group. And they did a lot of different things in games, and you guys saw it. Maybe you would differ, but I, I mean, I, I thought that they were helpful. No, they were incredible. And, Cult hero yeah, status and like, in in this market, the the Lamico yeah. Highmore <laughs> Mott line. Yeah, yeah, and like you know, this year they kind of rebuilt that back that fourth line, and it wasn't nearly as good, and it wasn't nearly as defined, and it wasn't nearly as fast. And so, you know, again, I think it was one of those under the radar reasons why the Canucks. Struggled this year. Their penalty killing has obviously been a disaster. Now the goaltending, they had issues with the goaltending. The goaltender got hurt. He wasn't nearly as good as last year. There's a number of reasons, as you guys know. You talk about it every day. I'm sure. Oh yeah. But 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 Tyler Mott is a, is a is a helpful player, and I like guys that you know what they are. You know what they're going to do. He's a really, you know what Tyler Mott is. He's not a first line player. He's not a second line player. He's a fourth line player that has good speed. He can kill penalties. He gets under the other guys a little bit. And you can, if you can put him in a group with a couple of other guys at the back on your last, on your fourth line, they can be really a part of a team that has success. So I think the Rangers, Chris Drury saw that last year. Unfortunately, when Tyler got to the Rangers, he got dinged up, didn't play a lot. But when I watch the Rangers, and I see them a bit here in, in this area, I love their roster, but that is one area that I'm like, boy, I don't, I don't really like their back-end players. I don't really mm-hmm. love their fourth line. I don't know if it's really defined, that some of the guys are, are young and inexperienced. And so Chris DeRay saw an opportunity to, to, to add there, and he did. And he gives up a player in, in Gauthier that you know, doesn't really fit with the Rangers because Julian Gauthier at the end of the day is probably somewhere. He's like probably a middle six forward for somebody, and maybe – you can push him, you know, maybe he can deliver more often. I mean, I've seen him have some really some, – he's made some really nice plays and scored some really nice goals for the Rangers over the past couple of months. Seems like he's making some progress, but he just didn't fit with the Rangers. They have too many guys in that middle six. EJ, the return of, you know, uh, older player with, with perhaps a little bit of upside in conditional seventh for, for the Mott – I think is a really interesting one, especially given that there are some reports about the Canucks 
Uh, considering maybe hanging on to Luke Shen, for example, if the draft pick compensation on offer ahead of the deadline isn't to their liking, what do you expect uh, the market for a player like a Shen, a uh, right-handed defender, scoring a fair few points this year, a uh, couple cups on his resume? Do, do you expect that to be as robust um, as we've seen for depth players of, of a similar ilk in past years over the course well, of the next that, couple of weeks? That's a great that's a great question, just because, you know, sometimes you don't know. It depends on how much a team really thinks they're close, really wants mm. a particular player. Um, you know, Luke Shed again, I, I've been watching your team out there in Vancouver more closely over the last, you know, two years just because Bruce Boudreau came in, he worked with us, became we became more friendly, and I was, you know, I was rooting, like a lot of people out there, rooting for Bruce. So I would mm. I would watch the games quite a bit, and I'm kind of a night owl, so I stay up and watch the late games <laughs> anyway, from, at least from the, East, from, from the East Coast. So, you know, I've watched the impact that Luke Shen has had within a group. I mean, he I think he's gotten a bit better as a player. I know he's worked with Adam Oates. I mean, he's not, he's not fast. He's not going to be – he shouldn't be a top-pair defenseman. No. I mean, that to me – that's so I'm not going to sit here and say that, but – I think he's gotten a bit better. He's got a, he, he's a smarter player now because he's got the experience. He's had winning experience. He's been around championship teams. He's a right shot guy. He plays physical. He's good in the room. He, he'll he'll defend his teammates. All those things are helpful for a team trying to win. So for Toronto, or for a number of teams, really, he'd be a really helpful player. Now, if you're so to me, if I'm Vancouver, I want at least a second round pick for that. You know, at least. Right. And if I'm not going to get that, depending on what the Canucks are going to do moving forward, and that's really the big question, because what are they going to do going forward? Are they going to completely rebuild their team? Are they going to try to retool? You know, what are they going to do? If I don't get, like, at least something I want, like a second-round pick, maybe I just hold on to Luke Chen. He's affordable. I need players. My defense is, is dreadful. And I need I need somebody back there that can kind of be uh, you know a helpful guy within my own group. So that's the challenge I think for for the Canucks right now is like you know you just give a player like that away. And I think that's what other teams who are interested in Luke Shen might be sitting there saying we'll give you a fourth and just waiting for Vancouver to say well okay <laughs> you know we'll take it right i mean that's that might be what it is and maybe mm. it goes right down to the end and that will be unfortunate for luke because as yeah. you guys know he's got his his, uh, his wife is pregnant he's trying to get settled one way or the other i think he's been a real good soldier for the canucks through some tough times there recently and i think that uh, you know i think one way or the other they should speak to him and kind of honor what what he wants to do as best they can yeah, it, so we'll see how it plays out. We'll see how it plays. It, out. It's a good point, EJ, because I think typically with a player like Luke Shen, often it does come right down to the deadline, and then a team will step up and kind of raise their offer from a fourth to a third or a second or whatever the case is. But as you point out, that's that's a complicated thing to do in Luke Shen's case specifically here. A couple more minutes with EJ Raddick, senior reporter for the NHL Network here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. And one team I wanted to ask you about, EJ, is the the defending Cup champions, Colorado, because. The conventional wisdom, for for very obvious reasons, has been that they need to go out and add a second-line center, but now Bo Horvat is off the market, Ryan O'Reilly is off the market, and Jonathan Taves is off the market for different reasons with the news that he's going to be uh, taking a step back from hockey and focusing on his health in the near future. Those were kind of three of the names we often heard attached to Colorado. 
where do you think they look now? And is it second line center, or do they try to add elsewhere uh, to defend their Stanley Cup? Well, I think at this point maybe Joe Sackick and Chris McFarland start thinking about okay, what are what are other options? Like what what can we move guys if we need to, and try to find maybe the best available forward to add to our kind of again middle six second line to kind of give us more options to give Jared Bednar Bednar more options in matchup situations. So I think. You know that's what they'd be looking at. They got the cap, you know, cap challenges there. Um, so, you know, there's been some talk about Dylan Larkin because it's not he's unsigned. Now the Red Wings have played better of late. They're pushing into a into a into the playoff race here. I just I just don't see the Red Wings trading Dylan Larkin uh, at the deadline. I mean, Steve Eiserman. I, I I know it's in Steve Eiserman's mind. He probably has the number that he wants to pay Dylan Larkin. Um, so. That could could end up like being very much like what Eisman went through with Stamkos in Tampa several years back. When that one, if you remember, went right to the deadline, almost right to the day, and then then Stamkos came back and decided to sign with uh, with Tampa after visiting. I think he visited Buffalo and Toronto. The mayor's office. To, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I tried to come back. So right, yeah. So. Um, I, I, you know, so I don't know if, if Detroit would, would do that with Larkin. I, I, I still get the sense he's going to be there and sign a longer-term deal. I think Eisman is looking with an eye to the future. Like, I want to position myself to be, to be ready if other big-time players become available maybe down two years down the road like an Austin Matthews. So, I mean, I think that he's trying to position his group to be ready if something happens. But, um, you know, he would be a, obviously, I mean, for Carolina, for Colorado, for a lot of teams, Dylan Larkin would be a real interesting guy. I just don't think he's going to get moved. Um, but after that, it, it gets a little tougher. You're right. I mean, I think for, for the Avalanche, we all kind of pegged them as being in the mix for Horvat or O'Reilly, and now both those guys are gone, as you point out, and the Jonathan Tate situation is playing out in a much different fashion. So I think they're going to have to reassess and, and look. But, you know, these teams, at, at the end of the day, and I'm sure you guys have seen it as well, you know, before the deadline, there'll be somebody that gets traded that none of us have talked about. Right. And none of us think is, you know, really, you know, has that much to say about, and yet they'll be traded, and they may be in, it may be an important trade. So we'll have to kind of wait and see. But I think that the people in Colorado have been pretty sharp. And, mm. you know, from what I understand, Gabriel Landeskog is getting a little closer, and that makes a difference too. Because even if they're not able to fill that slot, if they're healthy – this is still still really a good team just because they're so dynamic on the back end. When you think of Byram and McCarr, just to, just to name two, that give that team a really, like I like to call it, a big engine to drive from. And if those other guys are healthy, they're still going to be a handful. You're right, though. Come June, it's the Nick Paul takes on deadline day that age yes. best. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <True>. EJ, <laughs> really appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this. All right, guys. Take care. Have a great day. Thanks, EJ. Appreciate it. That is EJ Raddick, senior reporter for the NHL Network, weighing in on uh, some of the Canucks' issues going to the deadline and also some uh, some news around the league. Did you watch any of Columbus, Arizona last night? I confess I did not. I followed the scores, but I did not sit down to watch the game. Because there was nothing else on. Yeah. Like the uh, the NBA All-Star game had ended, Uh and and they mount this furious comeback. What great game. I, I was sitting there. High stakes game. I was, High stakes. I, I like. I got back from Whistler and I was sitting there feeling pretty uh, degen about my life, just being like, "This is riveting. Great hockey at Mullet Arena." 
between the you know and and I was so invested in the three point game too from like a right. Canucks coverage of perspective. Course. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It was just this moment in time where I just could not take my eyes off of a wildly entertaining Columbus failed comeback. It was just great. Well, it was kind of. I mean, you love to see Columbus get the make it a three point game, and it, with Arizona getting the win, it kind of turns. The Canucks win is such a ridiculous way to talk about it, but it kind of turns the Canucks win on Saturday to like a no harm, no foul situation. Not, like you, it's still an opportunity cost. No, I know, I know, not quite. Because especially if you lose that game, like Philly is free and clear at that point, right? Philly's like ten points up on you, so that's a big one. But Canucks, because Arizona wins, still technically a bottom five team in the NHL. <laughs> Incredible. Oh, dear. The, just the vocabulary and the whole manner of talking around tanking is so funny. <laughs> it was a real missed opportunity winning that game. Let's go, what? boys. Let's go. <laughs> All right. We'll take a quick break. Uh, we got lots more Canuck stuff to get into on the other side, including a couple of uh, interesting reports from our guy, Elliot Friedman, uh, Sportsnet NHL insider on Hockey Net in Canada and 32 Thoughts. We'll play those back. Uh, take your text as well, 650-650. It is Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk in the morning, special edition, filling in for Halford Bruff here on uh, we need Family a, we Day. We need a jingle for that. Canucks <laughs> Talk in the morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was thinking that as well. Like something really peppy. We Real also, cheesy, yeah. We also need more fake laughs. Something no. not as stress-inducing as, uh, as ours. It hits different in the morning. It does, it does. You know, you're like, oh, oh, God, it's Canucks oh. Talk. <laughs> <laughs> Wake up. <laughs> Something's happened. <laughs> like, there's a reason morning radio is normally like light and fluffy, and right. it's yeah. like then yeah, we have a lot like, of big band normally. I appreciate though, like the the most stressful one that sounds kind of like the nightmare version of the Wayne's World. Yeah, but it's like for a for an awful awful nightmare. Speaking of which, the Vancouver Canucks. Speaking of awful nightmares, apropos. Speaking of awful nightmares. Who would you less want to be long-term? Okay? You're inheriting a roster Yes. The Vancouver Canucks or the Philadelphia Flyers? Uh, It's the Flyers. The Flyers by a lot. And we talked about this a little bit with uh, Dimitri on Friday. Like, how much better was Elias Pettersson than anybody on the Flyers? Right? It's not even close. How is that a team that's been trying to win when their best player is Travis Konechny? It's not good. Like, it's really not good. I, I, you know... I like Travis Konechny as a player a fair bit, but like, come on, that's a th- the guy's like a complimentary top line piece, you know? Like, what? I didn't like that Pedersen cheap shot at the end there. That was like, oh, it got cares? under my skin. Who cares? He scored two. He scored two empty netters. So, so guy was mad about it. So, so he. I, hey, gave I mean, him if you're gonna run. do if you're gonna do that, then respond to that. I mean, I know Miller kind of barked at him a little bit, but I don't know. Well, I mean, sorry, you want the Canucks to respond more? Yes. I don't. I. I, I, I mean, just, not. He doesn't have to get killed. I'm just saying. You know, push back a bit. It's your star player. Yeah. I mean, they couldn't get him before he got to the bench. Konechny knew what he was doing. Yeah. He, he went timed it fast, well. Yeah. He timed it well. Yeah. He was like, out of I there. don't know. Like, I, I appreciate. I appreciate that Travis Konechny doesn't like to lose. And sure. it was. You know, was it a? Was it the cleanest thing? Can you eat breakfast off of it? No. But it wasn't. I thought. Was it? Was it BX on the broadcast who said it wasn't vicious? Yeah, that, that, dead well, on. Yeah, as yes, it wasn't vicious. As hey, it was, didn't injure him. Konechny, Konechny picked his spots well. He took the wind out of Pedersen and let him know, like, hey, I don't appreciate this. And I mean, what? Who cares? We're just there's. 
I, I get really tired of the like, how did the Canucks not punish that guy for like breathing on their star player wrong? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. Well, in it this doesn't case, always go like that. In this case, it's because he was literally already off the ice. Yeah, he booked it. He booked it. You know, like, hey, at the end of the day, sometimes you got to doff your cap to a spot well picked. Konechny picked his spot expertly. Yeah. But anyways, to get back to the conversation. Yeah. It's you'd so much rather be the Canucks. Oh yeah. Like it's not even close. Man, Elias Pettersson is so sick right now. It's awesome. He's ridiculous. I I I forget I, I don't have the tweet in front of me to give credit to it, but somebody put it out there. Like basically since he turned it on last season, it's been about 88 games. And he's like 8th in the league in scoring in that time, something like that and I'm surprised it's that low. I, I mean, he's a legit top of the league offensive performer. Now, right ima- now. now imagine if he was scoring on the power play. He already has five career five point games. Yeah, <laughs> that's hard to well, score. It's hard to score five points in a game. And I'm thinking about like that Seattle game, like that Seattle game right before Christmas. Remember when the Canucks had that mini three game bookending Christmas yep. winning streak, and it was like this last last gasp of hope before everything truly fell apart on Bruce Boudreaux. And, like, that five-point game that Pedersen had against Seattle, in, in like, I still think that that was about as poorly as Vancouver has played all year. The only exceptions to me are in Seattle and, yeah. in, and in Pittsburgh, right? Okay. Those were, the, like, those were three of the worst performances of the year. But one of them they won because Pedersen was just so much better than everyone else on the ice that night. That's what That's what Saturday felt like. Very much so. Yeah. And and to have a player at this age playing at this level, it's it's just wild. Like it's amazing how lacking everything can be around him, and, and the Canucks will still win if he's in that type of mode. Incredible stuff. Yeah, and that's why I mean, when the subject of his next contract comes up, right, and we start throwing numbers out, and they're really really high, and people. Maybe there's some uh, some sticker shock in the inbox, but you people, have to do people, it. People love their, the star player on their own team until it's time to until it's time comparables. To, to pay them appropriately. But like, there's it, it's an exaggeration to say there's no number I wouldn't do. But like, you gotta you gotta go to the absolute limit to keep that guy. He is such a special talent. You're gonna have to stomach a really large number to do it. Well, I also thought he did really well on after hours, yeah. particularly given all of the you know, like there's so much noise around this team. And he, I thought he stick handled a lot of tough questions professionally. He mm-hmm. swore twice too, which was great. Well, and I, I was also in thinking, an empty net. Yes. Know, <laughs> no, he swore twice. I said. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, yeah. Swore, yeah. Well, in, yeah. In, in an empty um, net. <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I did like I did like the one where he's like, I don't know if this is the right word, and then he said it, and then they're like, it's okay, it's late, and I'm like, I would get fired. <laughs> <laughs> the rules do change. That's the, that's the difference. Between- the rules do change late, though. Do they? Like, they actually do. Your the the CRTC rules do change at, after a certain point. Oh, really? Yes. Now, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure that's because the, the kids are in bed. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, yeah. I think I think they know better than to put me on the radio. Then <laughs> we lie to you and say they're they're much stricter than they actually are. We don't well, want to tempt you. Yeah, little little but, little behind baseball for the audience. Is anyone more reluctant to swear around a microphone than me? No, you are very, very paranoid about it. I'm super paranoid. Um, But I I was even thinking the fact that he did the interview, you know, he did 32 thoughts over the All-Star break. Like, that wasn't that long ago. That's a couple of really high-profile national interviews in a row for Elias Pettersson. And I think 
you know, we'll, he was asked about the captaincy and kind of said, you know, it'd be an honor, but I'd have to think about it. I like uh, that the answer, summer. by the way. Very respectful. And also, look, they're not going to name him the captain until he's signed long term. Correct. But I think that's just, just that's how it is. So, yeah, it's going to have to be after the summer in any world because you have to get him signed long term before you make that decision. Yeah. And I think that's a, a way of kind of acknowledging that without saying it depends on my contract. The the other the other thing that I took from it was it felt a little guarded in a lot of ways, right? Like asked about the the thing the quote was uh, I'm happy, talking mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. staying in Vancouver long term. No one is happy with how this season has gone or how the last several seasons has, have gone, right? Like to me, the only he said the right things. He's improved enormously as a spokesperson. I think that's a really good sign. Shows a lot of, of growth from him, but you know you got to take with a grain of salt anyone who says they're happy, and especially anyone as competitive as that guy, who says they're happy with how these last couple of years have gone. Is that, there a world no where Pedersen doesn't sign long term? Like, is, is that at all possible? I think it's absolutely possible. Yeah, I mean, I why wouldn't it be? Yeah, like where he's just like, no, I don't like the direction this team's going in, or, or whatever the reason is, and he's like, no, I'm good. Well, I'm not gonna. I'm, I don't want to get radioed by being like, "Yes, that's a possibility, a distinct <laughs> one." Please <laughs> aggregate this. Um, but I'm gonna make that the video, by the way. <laughs> but look, until until your pitch is accepted, it's on you to sell that. You know, like at the end of the day, um, you know, we'll have to see where it goes. But I think uh, I think clearly there's going to be openness to hearing what the Canucks have to say about an extension. So. And the Canucks are going to have a lot to say about next. Oh, I would think so. They're going to sell know, out to get this done. The, when he when he said he'd have to think about it over the summer, I was my immediate thought was, yeah, the Canucks might need to give him about like 90, 90 million reasons <laughs> why he wants to be the captain here, something around that number, because uh, that could be what they are looking at uh, when it comes time to sign Elias Pettersson. But yeah, it is a distinct possibility, but it's also something we can't really handicap right now without like getting in his head. For sure. So it's also a distinct possibility that. You know, early July, they signed him to a massive extension. That yeah. That's a distinct possibility uh, as well. Either to, way. To, to validate some really bad takes he signs, he's like, it's because they gave Kuzmenko a two-year deal. <laughs> I was on the fence until that happened. <laughs> <laughs> I just love how he eats bananas. And I called my agent and I said, get this deal done. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, so can we talk... Do you want to talk Luke Shen or do you want to talk JT Miller? Let's do the Miller thing first just because I feel like it's a little bit newer uh, and obviously turned some heads and got some attention on Saturday. So on Saturday. But it feels a little bit le- like a little bit more direct or a li- like a little more indirect. I feel like there's not a lot of right. meat on that bone. All right. You want to do Shen? No, I, I want to do Miller first. Let's just get it out of the way. <laughs> okay. I'm just, I'm just, All right. I'm just forewarning our audience. Really selling this well. Yeah, yeah, that was great. So <laughs> on, on, on uh, Saturday night during one of the intermissions, Elliot Friedman reported that teams have called the Canucks on JT, just kind of JT Miller, just kind of, you know, out of interest. Hey, would you be interested? What's going on there? Uh, and there's a little bit of an update on 32 Thoughts, which just released this morning with Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman. Here's the update from 32 Thoughts. Really quick, and you can whisper this if you don't want to start a fire. Vancouver Canucks, JT Miller, go. <laughs> you know, the the one thing is, is that Vancouver has made it very clear they're rebuilding around Pedersen and Hughes. And just forget the contract for a second. He's a good player. He's had a really weird year, but it's, it, it, that whole team has had a weird year. But he's a really good player. I think last year there were some teams that asked about him 
And so you separate, okay, do we like the player? Yes. I think there are teams out there who like the player. And now, okay, well, we've got the contract. And, and what I think at the very least people are going to ask the Canucks is, what are you willing to do here, if anything? So we're going to find out the answer. So that's Elliot Friedman on JT Miller. And there are a couple things that stand out to me there. One is, you know, Friedman says they've made it very clear they're rebuilding around Pedersen and Hughes. And I'm not attacking Friedman here, but I'm not exactly sure where they've made that very clear. (laughs) I would love to have heard that them come out and say that they're rebuilding around Pedersen and Hughes. If that is, in fact, the case. Yeah, like, over the last 12 months, we've had Thatcher Demko's franchise player. Yeah. Right? And JT Miller's our best player, and we don't have stars. And now they're rebuilding around Pedersen and Hughes. Because if that is, if you have sat down and decided. No, but it is clear as mud. I just wanted to go yeah. over the history of it. If you, But if, let's say they live in a world where we, <laughs> they've sat down and decided, we're rebuilding around Pedersen and Hughes, well, then you have to trade JT Miller. If you keep JT Miller, you're you're, re, re, you're rebuilding around the three of them. Oh, then. sorry, sorry. Are we? We're now rebuilding. Yeah, but that's what I mean. I don't even know if that's clear. I, I agree. Yeah. I agree. So I was like, well, if if we accept that, then that adds an interesting layer to this. I, no, but I'm no, not sure if that's fairness, actually true. I think Friedman meant clear to other teams. Yes. Yes. I I, I agree. As but, I said, I'm not. We, I'm we not saying have to Friedman pull. goofed that up or anything. I'm no, just no, no, saying. No. I was like, oh, is that clear? I I would love to know that. I, <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah, that sounds awesome. That's that would be really big news. That would have been that would have been a fantastic plan twelve months ago. But then I think even the other part of it that stands out to me is the way Friedman is wording it there, where teams are calling and saying, "Kind of, what would you be willing to do?" Implies to me that obviously, let's and I don't think J T. Miller is going to be traded, not by the deadline here. It, moving a $56 million cap liability difficult. in season? Extraordinarily, extraordinarily difficult. Goodness. But it, even the way Friedman phrases it to me suggests how complicated it would be, and ha- this would not be a case of, you know, hey, the Canucks are getting a first and a prospect back. This would be an extremely difficult deal where there's salary coming back the other way, where there's lots of things the Canucks have to do to make it work in the first place. And I think the fact that, yes, he's reporting teams are interested, teams like the player, but even that phrasing of what would you be willing to do to me suggests a certain level of effort and work on the Canucks part would be needed to get a deal like this done. Yeah, and look, I don't know. I don't know how much more mileage, like, I, I think you've said it all, and I think we should move on just because I don't know how much more mileage we'll get out of doing things like saying, you know, the problem is, is, man, after signing that deal, he's got a lot less trade value and on yeah. and on, right? Or, or, or you know what, I'll, let me do one quick bit within my, within my customary wheelhouse. Uh, I'm going to contradict myself. Three teams really dominated my thoughts over the course of this weekend. And there are three teams that historically have all approached the idea of rebuilding similarly. Mm-hmm. Okay. For obvious reasons, Philadelphia yes. is one of them. Yes. Vancouver is another one of them. And St. Louis is the third of them, right? St. Louis did rebuild in 2006, 2007, 2008, but like that's ancient history at this oh, yeah. point. You know, the Boston Bruins were rebuilding uh, so long. The last time the Blues were rebuilding, so were the Bruins. That's how long ago it was. The Blues are one of those teams that tries to be playoff relevant year after year. And yet, over the past five seasons, Doug Armstrong's shown a lot of situational awareness in terms of, you know, the year before they won the Cup, they sold, right? 
um, at the deadline, and then obviously Despite we've seen him being right on the cusp of the playoffs. Right on the cusp. Right. It was yeah. a pretty gutsy. Yeah, it was something you rarely see in the NHL. And then, and then once again, right? Like he sold super aggressively, and he's got the first for Tarasenko, and he's got the first for Ryan O'Reilly, and he also picked up an additional third, second, and third. Like tip of the cap, man. Mm-hmm. Doug Armstrong crushing it over the course of the past ten days. The Blues are like the team that has pulled this off best, I'd argue, especially because they haven't benefited from the same twist of fate that the Boston Bruins have, which is namely uh, Patrice Bergeron has aged like a, a cab sove kept in a, <laughs> a cave for 20 years. But but much more affordably. <laughs> much more affordably for Good Patrice point. Bergeron. Good point. Um, so, you know, I mean... What's the difference, right? Like, how how can you make it work? It, it's it, very, very difficult, but draft extraordinarily well, which the Blues have typically done. You got to find stars late in the first or early in the second, which the Blues have done with Thomas and Cairo, mm-hmm. right? Again, very hard to replicate. And situational awareness is paramount, right? Like, you have to have the moment where you're like, hey, we shouldn't sign Tony D'Angelo because we need to save money for Johnny Gaudreau. Obviously, you know, and and you really have to avoid, and this is something St. Louis hasn't done, you really have to avoid the Rasmus Ristolainen extension when you're already bad, right? Or the uh, Oliver ekman Larson trade or the JT Miller extension, right? St. Louis actually has sort of backed themselves into this corner with their blue line. Yep. Right? Like, those are going to be very... The, the St. Louis Blues team turns out not to have been that difficult to disassemble, but that top four is going to be... Heavy lifting for Armstrong in the years to come. So, anyway, all of which is to say these three teams loomed large in my imagination, and there's a reason that of the three, only one has pulled it off. It's an extraordinarily difficult path to walk, right? The, your, your your path to success is far narrower than it is for the teams that are willing to behave, uh, you know, in, in a way that sort of takes advantage of the NHL structures. And lastly... You've seen proof positive. What's the big difference between these teams, right? Doug Armstrong's level of situational awareness and decisiveness in recouping value stands out, you know, as as a major exception. Yeah, the willingness even within that framework to recognize where you are in a given season and be aggressive about that is yep. uh, is exactly what's going on with the Blues and Doug Armstrong. All right, let's hear from uh, from Elliot Freeman. You wanted to get to it. The update or the report on I'm glad Luke we haven't left too much time here because it's going to drive me <laughs> Mental. Here's Freeman talking about Luke Shen. And Jeff, the other Kadaka that we should just mention is is Luke Shen. Mm-hmm. Had a big night on uh, Saturday night with three assists, and Anthony's putting him on the Leaf blue line because of that. You know, one of the things I just heard on him, there's been a debate on moving him, and we've talked about there are people in the organization who want to keep him. And I think this just comes down to the draft pick that the Canucks want. I could see Tockett wanting this guy all day. I think there's a conversation there about if we don't get a good enough draft pick for him, and, and this is my guess. This is purely a guess. I want to stress it. Like minimum third rounder, I think there's going to be a push to say maybe if it's a high fourth, but I don't know that for sure. This is a guess. I definitely think there's a feeling that if they don't get a good enough pick, then they shouldn't do it. We'll see. We'll see what wins out. 
That's Elliot Friedman on the uh, internal debate going on with the Canucks about Luke Shen. <laughs> Shades of Dan Hughes. Well, but now here's the thing. So he says minimum third, and then he kind of says maybe even th- they would do it for a high fourth, for a good fourth round pick. Like, to me, what's the debate then? You're going to get that. Yes. How do you not get that? So the debate almost becomes academic well, at well, that point. Look, here's the thing. People say stuff like, that's what the market will bear. Right? And that's fair in some cases. But, like, you know, we got Julian Gauthier for Tyler Mott. Mm-hmm. Well, you didn't have to do it today. No. I mean, I mean... Right before the deadline, well, that's all we could get. Fine, but it's on you to create value. Like, it's on management to create value for a player. Values are falling at the deadline. Like, the days of Paul Gostad for a first-round pick are gone. Yeah. But, obviously, we've seen values have, like, stayed high for your Bo Horvats, your Vladimir Tarasenko's, and your Ryan O'Reilly's. No, Not a huge surprise, right? But... Like, the Blues were able to get a third for Mikola by tying him into the Tarasenko deal, right? Mm-hmm. The um, Blues were also able to get, you know, some additional extra pick for Nola Chari, in part because he was folded into the Ryan O'Reilly deal, right? Like, you got to be creative in creating value for your players, including your depth players, if it involves taking back a salary, if it involves, you know, wh- what have you. Like, that's on management. That's part of what you do. It does not make sense to me that Ben Sherratt would go for like a first plus, that David Savard would go for a first plus, and that Luke Shen wouldn't be valued at a second or third. Like that doesn't make sense, particularly given his cap value. Do I think teams would view him as a top four option for the playoffs? No. No. But do I think he's the class of of the sort of the righties likely to be available? Yeah, I do. And that player should get you a mid-round pick easily. And you should be able to find a way to get more if you're creative about the package. That's on Canucks management to solve. That's not you're left to the whims of the market. It's on you to find a way to create that value. And ultimately, I think they will. And I know there's this well, idea yeah. that, you know, well, if, Me too. If, if he was worth a second or third, somebody would have offered that by now and, and he would have been dealt already. But as you said, there's a difference between a player like Luke Shen and a player like Tarasenko, O'Reilly, Horvat. Those are guys that teams are really expecting to come in, play a major role, move the needle for them right away. There's incentive to get that done early, right? There's yeah. incentive for teams to get that done early. Luke Shen, you're adding for depth. You can afford to wait till the deadline. You can afford to see, well, hey, maybe the price isn't as high as we expect it's going to be. It's going to be, and that's why ultimately these deals get done at the deadline. I think that's going to play out here too. Let me give you another. Let me give you another. Um, let me give you another example. Nick Delorier went for a third round pick last year. Right, like, yeah. What, what, what was Nick Delorier's? What was the signature reason why, in a world where all other bottom six forwards went for fourths and fifths, a la Tyler Mott, mm-hmm. that Nick Delorier got a premium because he can fight. He's tough. Luke Shen can fight. You, you know, and and so what I sort of worry about here, I guess, would be: Do you leak? One one reason that I'd leak that the offers for Luke Shen have not been good would be to make his side think twice about the price of an extension, Mm. right? Like, oh, well, if we're not demanding that type of return, maybe we can expect two and a half in free agency, 
Maybe we're not getting the Labushkin deal, even though Luke Shen's probably better, right? I, I, that that would be that would be my concern. And let's be real: at the end of the day, you are better off getting a fourth round pick for Luke Shen than you are going past the deadline without an extension in hand. Yeah, if you get an extension in hand and it's a team friendly one, and you think that Luke Shen's care—I mean, whatever—I can I can live with it. I still think it's wild for a team in this position to behave that way and and build their team that way, but. At least you can understand it. If they go past the the deadline without an extension, you just take what you can get. Yeah. If you can't, if you can't hammer out the terms of an extension, it would be malpractice to go past the deadline with Luke Shen still yeah. on your own. And I look, we saw a similar thing play out with Tyler Mott. Didn't get the pick that a lot of people are expecting, but they did it. So I, I just want to walk back my own statement. It would also be malpractice to extend Luke Shen, yeah. with, the, given where they're at. But whatever. I'm, the only caveat I would add to that, because I agree, is the, his family situation, and I I don't know how how you wait that right but um well you you wait that by being proactive about getting the deal and done in from this point on it's it's but a no, really but tricky situation they, realistically a month ago they should have been like we'll do shen for a third you have a chance to do it we're trying to do right by the guy if you say no now we're not doing it later with you mm. like this is your one chance to get him we've established what we think is a fair price we want to we you know maybe it's a second or we want a third in a prospect and, I mean, that's realistically, they should have found a way to get this done a month ago. We'll see where it goes from here. I would still bet on Luke Shen moving before the trade deadline, coming up in less than a couple of weeks. We'll talk more about that and lots of other Canucks stuff with uh, David Quadrelli from Canucks Army and Canucks Conversation. That's coming up next. It is Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650, special edition of Canucks Talk in the morning, live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com, 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Now joining us on the line, you read him at Canucks Army. You can hear him on the Canucks Conversation podcast as well. He is David Quadrelli. Quads, what's going on, man? Not much. I'm just looking up some Archer Seelov stuff that they do every morning. I was going to say, nobody riding higher in the market after that Archer Seelov's performance than you, Quads. What'd you think about it? Yeah, I mean, in, in all seriousness, guys, like I know I do the bit of uh, – uh, of being this guy's biggest fan, but yeah, I, I was impressed, right? Like you think about it, 21 years old to be making your NHL debut, you know, at any position when you're a sixth round pick, but for Arch Silovs, you know, this guy's just put in the work. Um, you know, I, I think it's kind of gets kind of lost a little bit that a lot of those same issues with not playing in the COVID year that faced Mikey DiPietro, like Arch Silovs faced the same thing, right? Like he, he didn't really play in that year. Um, you know, didn't really use it as an excuse. I'm not saying DiPietro did, but, you know, C-Love's always just kind of saying, like, yeah, it was a bad situation, but uh, I-, I figured it out and that type of thing, and that's kind of what you'd like to see from a goaltender. And, again, um, I've just been impressed with them every step of the way, and uh, it was good to see him pick up his first win. We know that um, he is uh, the prize pupil uh, of Ian Clark, and Clark, uh, the Canucks goaltending coach, is a big, big fan of Archer's Seelovs. Have we seen some of those characteristics on display that make Ian Clark so enamored with Seelovs? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a great question. Like, where do you start, right? Like, I, I think I got 20 minutes here. So, I mean, 
you know, when he was drafted, right, the thing that enamored Ian with Archer Seals, and I've talked about this with Ian, and you see it kind of as a drafting philosophy, right? Like, you see it with Aku Koskenvo, you see it with Ty Young, even. You see this raw talent that hasn't really been mined yet, right? And when I talked to Ian about this, you know, he, he called it intangibles, right? Like, he said those intangible qualities, those things that you can't teach, and he basically just said in his years in the game, you know, those are things that you just can't teach. Things like uh, reacting, things like straight flexibility, and Ian calls it length. And with archers, the thing that you see with length, it's not always just if you're tall, right? Basically, what it comes down to is if you can drop into the butterfly and, one, you can move around while you're down on the ice, which a lot of goaltenders can't do. You see guys like Igor Shesterky, you see guys like Andre Vasilevsky doing that. Um, you know, one, you can do that. Two, when you drop into the butterfly, you can stretch out your leg and keep your knee flush to the ice, right? Like, that's very important, and it's something that Seelovs was doing in his draft year. Like, that's not something that Ian Clark taught him, right? And in his draft year, there was a lot of things when you look at Seelovs, again, similar with Koskambo, similar with Ty Young, a lot of things that you looked at in his draft year tape, and you said, this doesn't look like someone that Ian Clark is, you know, going to be impressed with, or someone Ian Clark would trust to play goal, but... Yeah, and the reason I say that is just, you know, super low and wide stance. And obviously, as we all know, uh, Ian Clark trained goaltenders really like to have that narrow stance. Um, you know, you, they do the shuffle when the puck's being cycled up high. That's something that you can always just kind of tell. Um, usually takes about four months for a guy to pick that up. But it, it catches a lot of guys off guard. Like, I, I talked to Ty Young at it out at development camp this past off season, just about, like, hey, so what do you think of Ian Clark's you know, system that he's putting into your game? And uh, he kind of laughed about it. He was just like, well, it's really different. Like He's like, it's kind of the opposite of what I've been taught my whole life. And, you know, some guys don't buy into that. Others do. Um, and I think Seelovs is definitely a guy who has. Because, again, like you go look at any of his draft year tape, like anywhere you want, and you'll see a really low, wide stance. Uh, he's hunched over. He looks really small in the net. I don't think he's actually 6'4". I've seen him standing next to Faber, and he's shorter than Faber. Um, but, you know, really low, wide stance in his draft year. He's hunched over. Um, seals off the bottom of the net exceptionally well. Don't get me wrong. Um, but, you know, not really looking like someone that Ian Clark would say, okay, this guy could definitely play goal for me. But when you're 18 and you're doing that and you're performing well and you're getting some results despite your um flawed technique if you will uh you know that bodes well right like like he had a lot of power he had a lateral lot of lateral movement power like he can get so much power from his legs and look when you're locked in super low like that it's not easy to get that power like it becomes increasingly more difficult to get that power when you're locked in super low and wide so the fact that he was able to do it was just one of the reasons that ian kind of looked at this guy and said okay like this is one guy that i really like and i'm not trying to put words in his mouth or anything like that but um you know when when we look at these goaltenders that's kind of what what you look for i think when you're looking for raw talent is you know what's he able to do when he's not playing properly because then okay, what's he able to do when we start to teach him how to play properly? Quads, where does this go for our tours in terms of the rest of the season? Has he earned himself another start or two? Well, I thought it was hysterical. Uh, I had people texting me being like, how could they do this to Archer Seelovs when he got put in against the Rangers? And it was just, it made absolutely no sense to me. And I, I know people were pointing at the Di Pietro situation, two completely different situations. Like, 
the difference between CHL shots and, of course, for the listeners, uh, yeah, referencing C when loves is a pro. Over. Come on, exactly. It's not even. It's not even a comparable, right? No, so, no. where do they go from here? But, um, but Quads doesn't his performance on Saturday show like that was the game for him. That was the yeah. game. Well, so so was the Rangers game. He doesn't make. He doesn't have that performance against Philadelphia if he's not confident from that. Oh, Rangers that's convenient. Game. That's, that's convenient. Well, that, you don't know that. His words. Those are his words, Tom. Those are his words. <laughs> well, that's convenient from him too. <laughs> all right, maybe he's been trained a little bit. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> but but in all seriousness, in all seriousness, for the rest of the year for Archers, where does it go from here? Well, I don't think it really like. I, I don't know about you guys. I don't know the. I did. I don't know the plan. I'm not reporting anything here. But does Archers really get that game if Thatcher Demko is ready to back up on right. Saturday as planned? Right. Like like that's well. That's, that's and that's what here. I'm saying. You can't be like, oh well. Luckily, I got that Rangers game. When <laughs> yeah, it's no, like, yeah, right. but you might not have had the chance to bounce back. You're right, but you would want him to get at least one game, right? Like, like I think, I think sure. not getting him into any game at all, if that's the alternative, I think that's, that's a misstep, right? So I, I'm glad he got the Rangers game. I'm more glad he got the Flyers game as well. But for the rest of the season, like, Thatcher Demko's traveling with the team on this trip, right? Uh, there was no setback. It was just a maintenance day. Thatcher Demko's just fine. But, <laughs> like, like in, in all seriousness here, where does – loves go from here like I, I think he goes back to the ahl and doesn't really miss a beat like guys before he came up last five starts he has 956 save percentage he put together a shutout and like let's be honest here the, the abbotsford team has been absolutely rolling under jeremy colleton right like like they've been doing development well um you know a lot of those guys got called up and my, the point i'm trying to make is that you know even though they lost a lot of that firepower and you know some of that some of that defensive help as well you know, Seelovs was still really good. Like, Seelovs is kind of emerging as one of the better goaltenders in the AHL. And again, he's only 21. You look at guys in that conversation, like Dustin Wolf. Dustin Wolf's like an A-level prospect for the Calgary Flames, right? And the fact that Seelovs is a six-round pick has started to emerge into that conversation again. Um, you know, some people say it's just a heater. I've always believed in Mackay, but... Um, you know, obviously coming from a different different perspective a little bit here, but I think he goes back down to the AHL, and I think he does really well. In, in a perfect world, if I'm calling the shots, I, I, I ride this guy out for the rest of the season at the NHL level. Like At the AHL it depends. level? No, I'm, I'm, I am saying the NHL level. Wow. Like, I'm saying it, it depends on Thatcher Demko's health, of course, right? But, like, let's say Thatcher Demko has another setback, or even, even if he doesn't, right? Like, I, I, I would... Think long and hard about putting Colin Dealey on on waivers, sending him down to the AHL, and putting him and Spencer Martin down in the A. And you're letting Demko one mentor Seelovs for the rest of the year, and you're also letting Seelovs get some starts because you do not want to repeat the mistakes of the past, and you don't want to ride Dr. Demko hard for the rest of the year. Like like I would I would almost split starts between these two guys. These are the two guys that are you know Demko's more so the present, but for argument's sake, these are the two guys that are the future of your franchise's goaltending department, right? Like, Seelovs needs that mentor. Satcher Demko had it in Braden Holtby. I think it's something that's really underrated from a lot of, a lot of people, you know, just say like, oh yeah, just throw the young goaltender in, he's going to be fine. No, like, they, they need to have some sort of mentor, and I honestly, like, I know Satcher Demko probably wouldn't think of himself as being in a mentor role right now, but you know, that, that's what I would really think long and hard about is letting these two guys split starts for the rest of the year at the NHL level. Like that, that that's just what I think. I, I think, I think it's, it's not a bad idea. 
Um, you know, riding him in the AHL is obviously a good idea because you want to get a lot of starts, but I think NHL experience, uh, you know, is king. Let's let's look forward then, right? What role on this team next season is Seelov's auditioning for at this point? Like, is there a world where he's a backup in the NHL as soon as next season or is playing games too important considering his age and the way that COVID disrupted his ability to get games? Playing games is far too important. Like you talk to anybody, right? Like, like anybody in the goaltending world, like even a beer league guy would be like, you know what? Yeah, I haven't played for a few months and it's been tough to get back in there. And in all seriousness, like that, that is legitimately what I think Archer Seelovs would tell you is, yeah, it's really nice to play games. And I mean, obviously that's a bit of a no brainer, but I think his role, it depends entirely what this team does, right? Like, is there a world where, and again, not reporting anything, not even saying that I think this is the right idea per se, but is there a world where this team sees Hartchesty loves enough this year and says, you know what? We're really happy with this guy's development. Let's let him have one more year as a full-time starter in the AHL. And then let's start to think about how we're going to transition him to the NHL. Like, Guys, he's only 21 years old, right? And I, I, I really, really do think the AHL is a good league to develop goaltenders in because, um, you know, despite what you might have saw on that first goal Seedlov's let in from Mika Zibanejad, the AHL and the NHL are actually pretty similar, right? Like, like making that jump, um, you know, when, you, when you've had a lot of time in the AHL, making that jump to the NHL isn't that hard. Again, it's much harder from junior. It's much harder from other leagues around the world, that type of thing, much harder. But from the AHL to the NHL, it's good. And you want to get those reps in if you're Archer Silas. And again, if you're the Canucks goaltending department and you're trying to best manage how to develop this guy, I think you just want him to get starts. So I I would say have him have a season as the AHL starter because, guys, like if you look at it this way, right? Like like let's use Mikey DiPietro as an example, Right. It's a very similar situation. DiPietro, I believe he was actually 21 as well, came out with the Utica Comets and took the starter's job from Zane McIntyre at the time. Okay, and I think this was the 2018-19 season or 2019-20. Regardless, it doesn't really matter. 1920. Thank you. Emerges as the starter in Utica, right? And the next season gets put on the taxi squad for the whole season. So keep in mind, everybody's singing this guy's praises, right? Like everybody in the organization, uh, folks in the media, myself included, as I'm sure you would have guessed by now with this call that we're on, um, singing this guy's praises after the first season in Utica where he really, you know. Like so you're saying the guys them. whose praises you sing may may amount to a throw-in in the Jack Stadnika trade? No, I'm saying that they <laughs> are uh, goaltenders in the tax organization. <laughs> but... Um, DiPietro, right, emerges as the starter. And then the next season, everybody, he's poised to take that starter's job and run with it. And then that year snatched away from him. And mm. then, as you just said, you know, basically amounts to nothing. And that, you know, again, if Seelovs were the NHL backup, obviously he would play more than DiPietro did in that next year. The point I'm trying to illustrate here is just that that next year, after you emerge as the starter, because again, let, let's not kid ourselves here. Seelovs is the starter in the AHL, and he has been that basically since December, right? So um, I, I, I think DPS didn't really take that job till January, February, but again, it was close. So my point being here, guys, is if he has this season that he's had, you don't look at that and say, 
oh my gosh, okay, we need to trade Demko. We need to figure out how to get this guy in the NHL. You look at it and say, wow, that's a really solid step in development for a six-round pick. He's already way ahead of his development, guys. Like, way ahead of his development path that anybody would have thought. And next season, you let him kind of dictate that next step where it's, okay, now you've earned the right to be the AHL starter. Like, like that's what you do if you're this team. You, you let him be that guy in the AHL all season long. So, sorry, Quads, I just want to follow up on this. We live in a world now, right, where Spencer Martin played, what, 10, 13, 10 to 13 games last season as the third goaltender, right? Mm-hmm. We've seen how often the Canucks have started the likes of Delia and Seelov's uh, third and fourth goaltender this year. Clearly, the role of a third goalie, right, a third guy who may- maybe has to give you five to ten games is something you need – in, in the contemporary NHL, would Seelovs yeah, I mean, in your view be prepared to do that as soon as next year? I don't think you want him to do that. Like, okay. like, 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 like. Here's the thing, Tom, and like, okay, like, let. I don't know. Okay, so you're still so, you're still looking. My point is, is if even if Seelovs gets a run of NHL games here, you're still looking to bring in two vets, two vet goalies, a backup, and. A third guy, presuming that Spencer Martin's game doesn't get back on track or that the organization's faith in him is irrevocably shook um, well, for next year. Let's define a third guy here, right? Like, like I, I, I call Colin Delia a third guy, okay? And Agreed. yeah. Okay, so, so I'm saying bring in – and again, you have Spencer Martin already, so I'm saying Spencer Martin is probably your third guy, right? Like this year, he okay. was the backup. He was the second guy, right? I'm saying bring in a third guy, or excuse me, a backup, like an NHL caliber backup who can actually shoulder some of that load off of Demko and he's not, you know, just getting absolutely lit up, right? Because right now, like, let's be honest, the goaltending hasn't been good enough, right? And uh, a, a big reason for that is obviously Spencer Martin hasn't really been up to par. Um, Colin Dealey has played more than I think anybody in the organization or anybody in the fan base would have expected him to play. Like, like. And just to put in perspective, like, Colin Delia came here because he wanted to kind of rebuild his game, right? It's really hard to do that when you're playing at the NHL level, right? Like, he was excited to go to Abbotsford and work with Marco Terenius, um, you know, obviously under the guise of Ian Clark, because he wanted to kind of remodel his game a bit. And he was really eager to do that when I talked to him uh, ahead of training camp this year. It's really hard to do that. So, again, I'm not saying the 28-year-old goaltender had a lost year of development, but I'm just trying to put it in perspective, like, Delia didn't really get to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish this year. And again, um, you know, that was a conversation I had with him in September about remodeling his game. And obviously, he's still able to do that, um, working with Ian Clark. But I don't think it's to the same level. And I, I, I look at the situation and I say, okay, bring in someone that you can actually trust as the third goaltender. And that guy isn't your AHL starter, right? Like, he is backing up Archer Seelovs until called upon. And again, it's not a great situation, but again, I, I look at Colin Delia kind of as a perfect guy for it. Uh, I don't think it's going to work out that way, but Spencer Martin, like Spencer Martin, same sort of deal. Obviously he wants to play, but this is a guy whose character, um, you know, uh, just a year ago in Abbotsford, starting the year as the third string goaltender, like I think he had three or three starts over the first like month or two months or whatever it was. He, he played very, very little um, in Abbotsford, never complained. Um, was was a really good mentor to Mikey DiPietro and to Archer Stilovs, 
Um, obviously, he emerges and takes takes over the backup role this year. Um, he's kind of someone I look at as being, yeah, okay, this guy could be a third string goaltender. Like, guys, like let's not discount the fact that this team just sent him down, not because they want to punish him, but more because okay, we need you to build your confidence back. Like, we need you to be the backup next year, or we at least need you to be the guy that we can call upon as the first call up if there's an injury at the NHL level. Because, and just sort of close out my point here is that if you go into the season and you don't get that third goalie right and you lose your backup and archer Silovs is just your guy like you have to call up archer Silovs because your uh ahl backup is a guy on a pto which they have like four of right now right <laughs> it, you you one you can't play that guy but two if you call up Silovs, he's sitting on the bench like like he's probably not going to play a lot of games Right. So, again, I, I think having that third guy is super important. And it's an evergreen statement because it was important uh, in the bubble year when they didn't get one. And again, yep. uh, goes back to the Mikey DVS position. It was important then and it's important now. And I think, you know, to repeat the same mistake in the past, that would be absurd. Like, I, I, I don't think the team will. Like, I, I think the team has learned its lesson. I hope the team has learned its lesson and they go out and get that third guy. Quads. Spencer Martin, what's happened to his game? Because clearly his confidence is is at a low ebb. Um, and can he get it back and get back on track to the the player it looked like he was building himself into, you know, as recently as two months ago? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really good question. I wish there was just a you know a, a perfect answer for you. Like like what is wrong with Spencer Martin? Okay, well, do your best. You do your best. It. I'm I'm Absolutely. expecting perfection here, quads. Let's go. Well, I mean, I think we all see the glove side, right? Like, like everybody, every time Spencer Martin was letting in a goal for the last month, it seemed like people were tagging me on Twitter saying, okay, so his glove side, what's wrong with it? And it's just, it, it's something he has to work on, right? And again, um, I, I don't think the defense did him any favors, um, not to make any excuses here, but uh, there were a few games where I would look at games Delia was starting and games Martin was starting, and I was thinking to myself, okay, well, one of these has a much better chance of winning than the other in this game. So, again, like, not to make too many excuses, but I think it's just confidence. It, it really just comes down to confidence. And I don't think you're getting any confidence when you're Spencer Martin and, you know, your last 10 starts before you go down to the AHL. Like, guys, his save percentage was not above 900 at any point. Like, his last start before he went down uh, from his last 10 starts, his last start was a 900 save percentage on the dot, not above not below every game prior to that, below all of them resulting in losses. Like, this guy used to just pick up points for the Canucks, right? Like, last season, that was what everybody was sold on was, look, they just get the job done uh, whenever he's in net, it, it works out. It hasn't been that way this year. And again, part of that is because the team isn't playing the same way it was last year, um, you know, uh, toward the end of the year when they were still riding the, the high of Bruce Boudreaux and all that sort of stuff. But Spencer Martin, he really just has to go down to AHL and he just has to play games. Like, He's got to play some games. He's got to continue to, you know, just kind of get back to basics, right? And I think that's the message that's been passed along here is, okay, you're going to go down, you're going to work with Marco Terenius, um, you know, very, very similar uh, philosophically to Ian Clark, all that sort of stuff. Um, you're going to go down there and you're going to get to work, um, you know, kind of get back to basics a little bit. I just, again, I, to diagnose exactly what's wrong with his game, um, I, I thought his post play got a little sloppier, um, you know, as the season kind of went on, which I, I guess maybe that's fatigue. I honestly, like, I'm kind of regretting just not talking to him about this when I, 
um, was at the rink and kind of saw him and stuff. But yeah, like again, I, I don't know how to diagnose his game to be quite honest with you. And I, I, I just from what I can see, like the glove hand needs work. I think everybody can see that. Yeah, I think some of the details in his game have just you know kind of gotten a little bit sloppy. Um, and I think they just want him to kind of go down and fine tune those a little bit. Quads, this was fantastic, man. Uh, I I was pumping my fist listening to you uh, talk about Archer Seeloff. So that that was great stuff. We appreciate it. We'll talk soon. Awesome, guys. Thanks. That is David Quadrelli. You hear him on uh, Canucks Conversation podcast. Read him at Canucks Army. And uh, we almost did it. We almost did the entire hit solely on Archer Seeloffs. We got a Spencer. Oh, what Martin, else would we talk? Got about? a Spencer Martin question in there at the end. I did love it because uh, a dog. On the weekend, you know, booked quads, which is great. I and, know, and then he wanted talking points. Yeah, and it's like, hey, it, quads wants to know what you guys want to ask him about, and then a dog followed up with, he's got lots of info on sea loves. <laughs> it's like, no, yeah, I think just I, ask him about sea loves. I, I think but we'll else, probably just lean else, into that. What else would we have asked him about? I'm I'm all for the splitting the starts with sea loves. Give him as many games as he want this season. I agree with quads. That'd be awesome. That was I go I, for it. Do I, it. I, I said this on Twitter, but like his whole ramp up with sea loves there, I was doing like the Vince McMahon slowly getting yeah, more like, impressed. Oh, oh, and yeah. when he said that, that was me like falling out of my chair. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like whoa! All right, let's go. Sea loves gets one start. Three starts. <laughs> rest of the season. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, look, so much of it's gonna hinge on Demko, right? Because we're not. No one's buying the maintenance day thing, right? Let's we'll take a break. We'll get into the update, the official update. Talk about what it might mean and all that, and uh, look ahead a little bit as well because it's an interesting that that phrase is cursed. That phrase is cursed. They should retire in Vancouver. It. They might have to retire it. Uh, we'll talk about that more. As I said, if you have a what we learned, send it in. Why not? Give us some content. Give us something to talk about on the other side. Final segment of the show coming up. It's Canucks talk in the morning. Sportsnet six fifty. Welcome back to Canucks Talk in the Morning. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Strance it's here. It's Canucks Talk in the Morning. <laughs> Live talk in the morning. from the Kintech studio. <laughs> Skibidoo-bop-bada! <laughs> <laughs> hey, do we, we had a texter, by the way, who said that I have no time for A-Dog's uh, boyish charms. And that's incorrect. Me and A-Dog love each other. It's very true. Yeah. I'm not sure what he was getting at. I was uh, childish charms, I believe. Yes. Specifically, which is kind of a backhanded compliment. <laughs> yeah, today, I, I am fully ready to you know, admit that I'm so sorry. I made it way weirder. The man child. <laughs> yes. But, he likes cereal and video, video games and not much else. Yeah. I guess hockey as well. Yeah. And, and no, and music. That's why you and I like each other. This is true. Yeah. That's couple, why a couple you of and singers. I like each other. Yeah. Um, are you a singer? Oh, yeah. Hmm, you haven't seen the YouTube clips? Dress <laughs> no, is a YouTube I celebrity. I have, yeah. Bro. Big, big time YouTube celebrity. <laughs> big time. Smallest influencer. time YouTube influencer ever. 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. <laughs> I, I don't know why this just occurred to me, but it would be amazing if Dunbar Lumber also opened like a chiropractic, <laughs> like a chiropractor practice and became Dunbar Lumbar. <laughs> and then, and the then same Dunbar building, though? Dunbar, Dunbar Lumbar, Lumbar and Lumbar. Lumbar. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and then and then we and then we had to find a way to navigate saying both. Like yes. Dunbar Lumber don't, gives me enough trouble. Don't uh, don't make it more difficult than it already is. Dunbar Lumber and Lumbar. Yes. It's great. It's right there for them. It's a tongue twister and a backbreaker. Um and as I said, there, we got a couple of what we learned, and so maybe we'll get to those uh, at some point. You can send them in. How did you learn anything from this podcast? I got a what we learned for Drancer. Oh, very okay. okay let's, challenging. Do you want to go right rather. into it? Yeah, or, let's get right into right. it. We'll, we'll see. And well, then encourage, and then encourage people to t- text in more. Yeah. What we yeah. learned: Thomas Drance does not have any time a day for Andrew Kuzmenko's potassium intake on the bench. Was not a fan. I learned this morning of that wonderful moment, the best moment of that game. I, was it the best moment the of that game? The best moment of that. Forget Pedersen. It's all about the banana. That I, was the highlight of the night. Maybe the season. I just Drancer just didn't have time for it. He's like, nope, not a fan. I just don't understand. <laughs> so there is this phenomenon. Explain. Explain. Yeah, you go ahead. I'll. Like, I, I think you touch on something that I agree with here, but I'll let you explain it first. Well, I just. A couple things. One, one is, one is, well, there's only one, which is that like we strain so hard to find like likable personality in the NHL that a guy eating a banana, like quickly fueling up on the bench, is this like touching, charming moment. It's huge. He's eating a banana. Potassium intake, man. It's good for you. I I love bananas. It's not about the banana. It's about like who cares? Like it's just he's eating, and his teammates are kind of grinding him for it. Yeah, it is what it is. You didn't have a little smirk or a little twinkle in your eye when you saw that, or a little chuckle? I had no reaction whatsoever. (laughs) Drance has never had a twinkle in his eye. (laughs) That's not true. (laughs) I have massive twinkles in my eye when discussing players who Canucks fans insist won't be good for four years. <laughs> like, like you don't think I have a twinkle in my eye when when w- watching Zach Benson highlights? Yes, that's true. That's true. You are you are really really into Zach Benson. Um, very very high on Benson. I the one thing I'll say is so as you said, you know we're so starved for the personality in the NHL. The thing that always kills me is people do this with like NHL players' uh, fashion, right? Where like a, somebody will come to a game wearing like a pretty normal suit and like a green tie and people are like whoa check out this drip and it's like ah oh, it's just a green tie well, it's because 99% just of NHL tie. players it's don't not, have personalities that that's why <laughs> yeah most of the players just don't have that kind of personality so when one finally has one guys like oh cool that's neat he's showcasing something a little bit different than most NHLers do most sorry, of the time sorry. the bar is just so low no, oh, it's, no, no, it's but, very but low it, his personality is shown in a lot of different ways. Kuzmenko has shown us his personality in a lot of different ways over the course of the season. I don't know that him eating a banana has added to my understanding or appreciation for Kuzmenko. What? Like, eating a banana is not a personality. Are we all going to call him, like... On the bench mid-game, offering it to Pedersen and Pedersen... Pe- no, I don't want... We what gonna, are you, what we are you doing right now? Like playing a game. Banana or something, like, uh, Mikheyev got the soup? No. Right? He mentioned once, he mentioned in one interview that he liked soup, and everyone's like, ah, this guy, soup, I just, soup over here. I just hope he continues the bit in every game now because Manko's eating a more elaborate meal like, <laughs> as the games progress. Okay, that Each I'm meal gets a little more elaborate. He's processing a mango on the bench. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, he's got an entire fruit salad at some dragon point. Dragon fruit. Yeah. Well, or, or like- He's got his own personal chef behind him. Or like the peanut butter on banana. That's a popular one at intermissions among NHL players. Oh, okay. The peanut butter. And by the way, peanut butter and banana. Those- those two toppings are made for each other. They, they a are. better combo than Daniel and Henrik. Peanut butter and banana. <laughs> I don't know about that. Better combo than Daniel and Henrik? Well, yeah. Wow. I mean, I, 
it's peanut butter and banana. There's a reason they exist, coexist in so many different desserts. Uh, what we learned, if it is a brunch item, Drancer would have been more impressed. That's, That's from true. Dan. <laughs> not, not incorrect. If he was eating a... Like a honeydew or something? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking like an eggs benny. Eggs benny on the <laughs> bench? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> McChicken? <laughs> you know, like... Or sorry, a McChicken. Who eats a McChicken Because Mank wearing brunch? a bib that's got a Canucks logo on it. Yeah, that's a real... <laughs> a real treating your lady to a brunch with a, <laughs> with a McChicken. Classing it up, man. <laughs> no, that was that was truly like um like uh the forty year old virgin like feels like sandbags moment for me. Like, have you ever even had brunch, man? Uh, I do love a McChicken, I just not meant for brunch. A Mc... What's the breakfast item? Uh, I egg McMuffin, le- egg McMuffin. Thank you. I legitimately don't have an explanation for why I couldn't think of the, the word. The great McMuffin. thing about an eggs Benny. I mean, obviously, beside the visual, is at least with a banana, it's like, well, I'm refueling. There's This is a common thing. Eggs Benny is just like, like, hey, coach, don't worry. I need to get my fuel back. He's like, what? (laughs) With a hollandaise sauce? (laughs) It's like, like, I need to fuel up for my second intermission nap. (laughs) Is that a George Foreman grill on the bench? (laughs) (laughs) See, that that would be next level. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Now, that that would be worth all of the, uh, the social media hoopla. Um... Sam texts in, what I learned is PD will be a great captain. He's superstar talent, and he's not scared to drop S-bombs on live TV. Two of them. Two of them. <laughs> Unlike our previous captains, two S-bombs on live TV. That's from Sam. Is that the criteria we're using? Willingness to willingness they're, to cuss? They're, they're actually going to put an S instead of a C on his jersey. Do you guys think, do you guys, are you on board with Pedersen as captain? You, you both be like, yeah, that's I great. don't think there's a, re- if, if he signs long term, there's no, it's it's in the category where, unless he says explicitly, I'm not comfortable with the role, which is fine, it's goofy to give it to somebody else. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel about it. They should have put an A on his jersey a year and a half ago. You'd think he'd be a good captain, though. Well, Look, I, looking I, ahead, I just think I just think I don't I don't think he wouldn't be. I'm just wondering your thought. I think in a lot of ways, this organization has taken far too long to make it explicit in a, in just about everything they do that this is Patterson's team, and not because of any like honorific thing, but because there's a challenge and there's ownership that comes from that. Um, that I think they kind of missed the boat on for for far too long. Like, and and not that's not a Rutherford Alvin thing. That's previous to that too. Like, I don't know that Patterson has been empowered to be the guy on this team. And if you're not formally empowered to do it, particularly if you're a little bit shy or a little bit quiet, it's hard to take on that responsibility for yourself. It's hard to wrest that responsibility away, particularly from people who are perhaps more outspoken in the locker room and have letters on their jerseys and have longer contracts, right? I I mean, it's like the deck's been stacked against him taking ownership of this club. So whatever you do that explicitly creates an environment where he's challenged to do more in terms of being responsible, like personally responsible for the results of this team, I I think is a necessary thing going forward. Um, I've been saying this for a while. This text, yeah, and uh, to the question of would he be a good captain, it's so hard to know how the internal dynamics play out. He's their best player, and he's clearly their best player. And in, like, generally, the rule of thumb, unless there's some extenuating circumstances, you're not going to go wrong giving the captaincy to your best player that often, right? Yeah. Like, they they have to be a leader anyways, so why not make well, it official? And there's, like, a social organizer component to being a captain. There's a, like, interfacing with the coach on behalf mm-hmm. of the team, like, going going to the coach and being like, hey, like, we can't practice tomorrow. 
you know, which, which by the way, you know, isn't always an easy conversation, right? Like you lost, you know, your team's tired, you know, the best thing for your team is to get the day off, but you're going to a fun city. Coach isn't inclined to give you a green light. Do you have the weight? Do you have the guts to go in or, or go to the front of the plane? Be like, man, trust me, this group needs. And then, and then in saying that too, do you have the respect of your teammates where it's like, guys, I got us the day off tomorrow, but we better be on when we play on Thursday night in Vegas or, or whatever, Thursday night in X fun city, LA. Like, you know, that, that's sort of where it matters. Like, I think mostly it's an honorific position, but the, the social component and the interfacing with the coach part and the media obligations, mm-hmm. those three are like real definable areas where it's different. And, you know, I think it's good to stretch shy people into doing that. But, but I also come at this from the experience of having worked with Barkov when he transitioned into doing it. And he's likewise not, you know, a relatively shy, like reticent, naturally a nice guy, not like a social organizer type, n- not a lot of Bo Horvat vibes off of, right? Like Bo Horvat might as well be a politician. Right. Right. In terms of like his instincts and his ability to glad hand and, and navigate complex social situations. Right. Like Pedersen Barkov, very different personalities uh, from one another, but also from that. So, you know, I think it's good to challenge a player to do those things and to have that ownership. You know, you remember that quote the year that Pedersen wasn't signed about wanting to be on a winning mm-hmm. team. Right. Like. Until this guy turns 33 and his game falls off a cliff, he is going to be the reason his team, or at least a huge reason why his team wins or loses every every night, right? Like, you put a C on his chest or you put an A on his chest a year and a half ago, you're making it explicit, like, okay, you want to be on a winning team? This is on you, man. And by the way, this team's losing games the way they have this season is not on Pedersen. Yeah, it's tough because but, he can be having as good a season as he's having, and the team can be where it is. But you have to be you have to be a Canucks level train wreck for that to happen. <laughs> like to waste this season requires yeah. just you know a level of poor construction, terrible goaltending, an inability to kill penalties, a complete inability to move the puck. Um, you know, just an ill fitting group of players on like a truly catastrophic level. Uh, we've got, uh, we've got, yep. I, I wasn't Moving sure if you were on. finished there. Uh, we've got people suggesting the best, uh, food options for Andre Kuzmenko on the bench. And I love this one. Uh, a fajita platter would be awesome on the bench. You could give Petey a bite. And I just love the idea of like the training staff bringing out the sizzling platter of fajita <laughs> fixings. And, you know, whenever that happens at a restaurant, everyone turns like, Ooh, that looks good. Oh, is that a fajita? Ooh. And I just imagine everyone on the bench. Ooh, I got to put my order in for a fajita. That looks awesome. You know awesome. the Canucks blimp that used to Sorry, fly around well, during why games? Are you, why are you pretending that, like, you just talked about ordering fajitas at a restaurant like ordering Caesars. No, people do that. When a fajita comes out, the, the like, sizzling fajita platter, it turns heads. <laughs> are you kidding me? Come on. Come on. I think, you I ever... think they need to utilize the Canucks blimp that flies around during the game, or that used to, and that they, yeah. it goes directly to the bench. It's got like a pizza for Guzmanko. And oh. Slowly gets lowered to the bench for him. Okay, like, oh, that's mine. That. That's mine. I love that. The pizza. Um, or pancakes. Um, with regards to, sorry, fajitas. I've never been in a group dining situation and had someone at the table order fajitas and anyone else be like, ooh, Come on. I'll change my order to people that. People love fajitas. People I'm not love saying people, fajitas. I'm not saying people don't love fajitas. I'm saying fajitas doesn't have the like, 
I'm not Ooh, saying. Ooh, that's what I want. I'm actually. not saying when you order it. I'm saying another table gets it, right? And you and you see the fajitas come out, and you see, hear the sizzle, and you see it come out and laid down. That's when people are like, "Ooh, I want that." No, I, it's a thing. I'm telling you, it's I a thing. I don't think it's a thing. Anyways, uh, we're, see, we'll like move there on. are there are other things that are like that, like. Um, I'd like 6,000 chicken vaginas, please. <laughs> we did need the vaginas reference for sure. But it's like Caesars. When someone orders a Caesar at brunch, everyone else is going to order. Like Everyone's going to be like, ooh, yeah, I like that. That sounds good. Um, you know, when you turned on the song Paper Planes by MIA in sure. the year 2007, <laughs> sure. the dance floor sure. filled yes. up, right? Like that was like an initiator. Um, you know, I'd say, I'd say, Ordering dessert at a restaurant, like at the end of a meal. All right. Someone's like, yeah, you know what? I am going to get the key lime pie. And everyone's like, ooh, yeah, we'll get a little fork too. That's another one. Is that how you say it? I was going to say, is this the voice you do at restaurants? Sorry, that's absolutely how I talk about dessert. (laughs) Well, I'll get a little fork too, please. Do you guys talk about dessert like normal people? Well, it's true. If I see chocolate, I get excited. Yeah, no, but also like, but also like, you're, you're never... like Homer Simpson in the land of chocolate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that no, was forty five minutes ago. No one has, no one has ever been like, ooh, I'll, I'll, like, you always do it in that tone. That's like dessert tone. Everyone uses it. It's universal. So All right, you're saying someone orders fajitas for the table, you won't get that. Ooh, I'll have a fajita too, please. Absolutely not. I've already made my order, and it's normal food. Interesting. It's not fajitas. I like fajitas, but they're kind of like normal food. Yeah. <laughs> What? <laughs> it's outside fajitas exist outside the bounds of normal food. Correct. All right. Interesting. Outside That's the bounds of I outside the bounds of normal Mexican food too. Uh, I do want to get into this as as uh, as exciting as this talk is. Um, What's up? Not fajitas. <laughs> I was going to bring this up. A couple of people have texted in, including Dempster Dan, who says, "What we learned: Horvat is going to have to pick up his scoring now." With Matt Barzell out indefinitely, just announced a few minutes ago by the what? New York Islanders. Okay, that this Matt is Barzell is out indefinitely with a lower body injury. And of course, uh, not just relevant for Bo Horvat, but relevant for the Canucks. And well, where, when they are going to get that first round pick from the New York Islanders. Islanders first who, again, pick. I believe right on the cusp right now. I think they're 13th technically in the Actually, no, sorry. I believe they're still 12th in NHL standings, but basically in a dead heat with the Washington Capitals. So right on the cusp to where the pick becomes protected and rolls over to next year. So it is a really big deal to have Matt Barzell out indefinitely. Huge. Um, and, and of course, obviously, Matt Barzell means a lot locally um, for, for what he's managed to do. So hopefully uh, he comes back quickly. That draft pick, though, that, that short position mm-hmm. that Patrick Alvin and company bought against the New York Islanders... It was smart the day they made it. It was smart the day they assumed it. This is this is partly why, right? Like, you know, you, you th- honestly think about the Canucks example, right? Like, I was how many games have the Canucks played now? Uh, fifty something. Fifty. Fifty six. Fifty six. Okay, so that means as of today, and correct me if I've get, got my math wrong, the Canucks max number of points is ninety eight. Yeah. Hold on. No, they could get. They have 26 they get 100. games left. Yeah, so, but they are 48, so they could get 100, right? 52, right. 52 plus 48, so 100. lose five more games in regulation, or, like, if they lose four more games in regulation, they can't match what they did last year, mm-hmm. right? Four, they're four regulation wins again, away from having their uh, preseason over-under payoff, you know, 
And that, I mean, on that, the under. That, yeah. could, that could happen this month. Oh, quite easily. <laughs> like, that could happen by the end of the month. So, you know, you're no one would have seen no one would have seen the level of underperformance like the Canucks have fewer points than the Arizona Coyotes. Mm-hmm. No one would have seen this level of underperformance coming, but if Demko struggles for 2 months and then gets hurt for 3 months, like my goodness, right? The Barzell thing just once again illustrates like if you're not a luck-proof contender, right? If you're not at the level of depth where you can like lose a goalie for 2 months and still be fine and stuff like that, right? If you're not at that level, you are subject to the cruel whims of of hockey luck, and you know the Islanders. Even are. look at like Florida. Florida's bottom ten team still at this moment. Now I think I would bet on them to climb up a little bit, but it's not as it you know nobody would have thought Florida when they made no. that pick and they trade that pick to Montreal would well, have been where they are. Even like a team like St. Louis. And it's a little different now because St. Louis has the motivation to trade off pieces no, but and get worse traded, that the Islanders won't. If they next traded year. a protected first at the deadline last year, no one would have batted an eyelash. No, absolutely not. And and that would be you know that would have a real chance to pay off. And the other thing with the Islanders is, and we, we mentioned this really in passing last I still, week on I the show. I still think Boston. Like I'd take up a short position against the Boston Bruins. Not not for this season, but like Bergeron and Krejci are expiring. Yeah. If they win a cup, is there is there a world where those guys ride off into the sunset? You know, having accepted that the town was in fact big enough for both of them. I mean, is there a world where Linus Olmark becomes a pumpkin next year? Heck yeah! Like, I mean, I know it's wild to say about a historically good team to this point in the season, but like that's a short position that I'd view as being pretty interesting and this guy uh or this guy somebody texts in uh can you i don't know why i said it so aggressively this guy texts in what's up uh, with this guy get a, get a load of this guy <laughs> like, what anyways this listener this lovely listener texts in can you guys please clarify the protected pick do we want it to carry over or pick this year well that's really an individual thing because there's more upside if it carries over right because there's the chance it could be a top five pick versus the burden hand of like picking 13th or 14th or something this year it's it's a tough one because of how strong this draft class is cam allen yes, sorry i yes. just wanted to drop cam allen for no reason um it's it's a tough one to decipher because of how this strong this year's draft class is versus 2024 but from new york's perspective right like from vancouver's perspective it's complicated from new york's perspective you want to surrender the pick this year mm. so let that be instructive as to what benefits the canucks better right uncertainty can be unnerving, but from the perspective of the team against whom the Canucks have bet, right, fixing your losses would be preferable. Macklin Celebrini, five-goal game, by the way, this weekend. Yeah. You see that? Yep. Big Mac. And the way I uh, the way I look at it is there's no real worst-case scenario for the Canucks at this point. Like, given where the Islanders, where, how they've trended after the trade, they did not surge up into, like, the 20s where the pick would be or anything like that. That would have been worst-case scenario. Uh, that could still happen. It could still happen. I'm not betting on it. It seems like we're into two. Either way, let's say they if they pick – 15th or higher this year or it rolls over to the next year to me those are both good outcomes for the Canucks and the other thing about shorting the Islanders and, and we touched on this quickly uh last week on our show they have a lot of money and roster spots locked into like not star forwards on the wrong side of 30 which is always a little bit concerning right like Anders Lee Brock Nelson Josh Bailey Kyle Palmieri Casey Sezikis 
Matt Martin, all under contract for next year, all on the wrong side of 30. Now they do have impressive pieces on defense, and they have Ilya Sorokin, but they're also pretty dependent on Sorokin. And as we've seen here, like goaltending, if you're dependent on goaltending, that can always go south for you. So there is that downside risk. There's If you're betting on them to really bottom out last year, Sorokin is a problem for that. But you also never know what's going to happen with goaltending. And as you said, if he struggles, if there's an injury, all of a sudden you're looking at a very, very different conversation uh, with the New York Islanders and where they could finish oh, next year. No question. No question. So that's the bet that connects the place. I think you want the pick to defer. I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. As much as I like some of the names in the middle, like – as hard as it is for me to say the Canucks should prefer to defer a pick that could be, you know, in range to pick an Andrew Crystal, mm-hmm. which would be sick, by the That'd way. That'd be awesome. Be very, Imagine very cool. Imagine the, the Zach Benson, Andrew Crystal double up. Oh, man. In the first round? Sign me up for that. They they need the, they, ideally you'd have their uh, Vancouver Vipers line mate in the middle of them, but yeah, I'm here for that. Chilliwack uh, and Carisdale unite. Somebody texts in, if you order this, the restaurant takes notice. Quesos Fundidos Mescalaria's signature molten cheese fondue served in a volcanic stone bowl. Somebody, somebody texted that in. Copied and pasted from lamezcaleria.ca. So just putting that out there. I don't know if that's fajitas or no, just no, no, something. No, that's cheese. That's fondue, I guess. Yeah. Just something it's, that it's, the rest would make the restaurant stand up and take notice. That's dip. <laughs> and I don't think dip makes a restaurant. Stand up, stand notice. Maybe you know, if you order it aggressively. Yeah, you know, you know what? Replace the D with a T. That'll make the restaurant take notice, right? A big tip. Sure. Are you playing us off? This is the outro music. This is this the, is this is the outro. We music. do outro music now. Well, it's the morning show thing. This is my way of politely telling you you got to go. Uh, oh, okay. Last word goes uh, to. From, I didn't. Uh, I didn't realize that Andy was like the Oscars producers. Yeah. Last I haven't w- even thanked my mom. I'm a pro here, man. Last <laughs> word goes to Mike from West Kelowna who says, yes, when someone receives their fajita platter, I always want to change my order. Bad Shout take. out to Mike Bad from West take. Kelowna. Thanks for listening. We're back tomorrow at a regular time. Sportsnet 650.